Hey, Northside family, welcome today to our online service. I'm so thrilled that you have made time for this for you and your family. My name's Nate, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you. And we literally have people tuning in, not just here in southern Indiana and not just in our country, but all over the world. We have uh, groups of people and families tuning in. Matter of fact, we got a message this week from someone in Lithuania uh, that came in and connected with us this week. And uh, it has been phenomenal. Phenomenal to see the work of God, and we are so thrilled uh, for how God is connecting people all across this world to Him. And uh, and we just want to say thank you for making time. Uh, one thing is this: today we have a special guest speaker, uh, Dr. Ephraim Smith, is going to be bringing our message today. Uh, Ephraim is one of the pastors out at Bayside Church in Sacramento. They are the fastest growing church in America, and uh, his message is going to be timely for us today, as his message is called the rise of the reconcilers. And it comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, where it's not just that Jesus has come to reconcile us back to God, but he sends us out to go help the world come back to him. And that is what the world needs right now. And it's going to be a phenomenal message today. We're going to worship here in a little bit. We're going to take some communion. Uh, so I want to advise you, if you want to participate in that, grab some bread and some juice there in your home or wherever you're at. And then we're going to hear from Ephraim. And I'm going to come back and wrap up at the end of that. Uh, and I do just have a couple announcements. Uh, one is this, due to the coronavirus, we want to give you an update about how we're proceeding. And for the month of April, we are going to continue to meet online as a church. And uh, we'll kind of take this by a month by month case. And uh, for the next month, we'll continue to do online services. But this is what we know. This isn't enough just to kind of watch a 45, 50 minute service and to think that we're going to be okay as followers of Jesus. We need each other. And so we want to invite you to join in one of our life groups. We've got life groups that are meeting on Zoom. Uh, it has been phenomenal to watch them connect this week to post pictures. And uh, I just want to invite you to, to join one of our life groups, whether you need a care group or a community group. We have some phenomenal groups that are meeting. We want to invite you to be a part of that. Uh, also, I want to invite you. Uh, your generosity has been incredible during this time. You guys have been responding in unbelievable ways. And I want to invite you to give online. We know we can't be here or drop your check off at the church office this week, uh, but give online. It's a real safe, simple way to do that. And ministry continues to work in an unbelievable way. And uh, I want to let you know, next week, uh, I'm going to be giving us an update about our Setting the Table initiative. Uh, I can't believe it was just a month ago that we had our big commitment weekend, and I can't wait re to reveal what God did through your faith and your obedience to Him. It will really blow your mind to see when everybody steps out in faith. And I'll share more about that, and I'll share about our timeline with that, because we're in a little bit of a different uh, moment right now as a world. And next weekend, we're also going to be starting a series called Light in the Darkness. And we're going to be walking through the book of Philippians over the next several weeks because Paul was physically in a dark place. He was in a jail cell, locked up because he was a follower of Jesus. And yet in the midst of his darkness, the light of Christ came in and was doing an unbelievable work. And the light of God wants to do an unbelievable work in and through us today, no matter what darkness we face. Matter of fact, before we sing here in a moment, I want us just to look at Psalm 46, verse 1 through 3. Because this isn't the first time that the world has experienced darkness and disease. Listen what Psalm 46, 
says, verses one through three, says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The writer knows, yes, the world all around me may seem like it's falling apart, but God, you never fall apart. You're our refuge, you're our strength, you're our ever-present help in trouble. Let's pray together before we worship. Father, here we are meeting online, and yet your Holy Spirit is everywhere. And so, Father, we just thank you that we get to gather, even though we can't be in the same room, we get to connect digitally. And, Father, we connect more than digitally. We connect by the power of your Holy Spirit, your presence in our life. And so right now, we just simply say, God, you know the darkness that everybody faces. You know the hardship. And you are our ever-present help no matter what trouble we face. And so right now, God, we worship you. Father, there may be nothing else good going on in our life, but you are the constant good. And so right now, we give you glory. We say you are the one who holds our life together. Jesus, you get all credit. And so, Father, today in this moment, once again, we come back to you because you hold all things together. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. And everybody said together, amen. Let's worship him together right now. Praise to our refuge, our strength. You're worthy God.
trusting him alone. So we trust you, Lord, we trust you, because your ways are higher than our own. Lord, we trust you, and we trust you, your ways are higher than our own. Lord, we trust you, we trust you, your ways are higher than our own. In all things, Lord, we trust you, in all things we trust.
song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Cause Jesus you're my hope and stay So teach my song to rise to you Temptation comes my way When I cannot stand I fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Father, we're faithful, you're the refuge. 
there's been a psalm that has been encouraging and giving me perspective in this time. It's from Psalm 62. It says this, it says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. As we enter this time of communion, of continuing to worship God, I'm reminded that Jesus came. He took our death and our shame upon himself, upon that cross. He rose from the dead. Three days later, we were given the gift of his spirit, the gift of eternal life. And that is why he is the rock that cannot be shaken. No new story can change that. No outlook on the future can change that. He is faithful. He is the rock. He is true. And he longs to spend time with his people. So let's focus on that scripture. I encourage you to join me in just reading that and believing that over yourself and praying. Allowing God to speak through his spirit. Let him be the rock today. Let's take communion together. trustworthy, you are faithful, you are a refuge that cannot be shaken, Lord, a foundation that we can stand upon, and we thank you for that, Lord. Just pray for your continual peace and guidance in this time, Father. We pray that we would lean into your spirit alone and your truth alone, Father. Help us love our families, help us cling to them, cling to you. We cannot wait to see what you do in us and through us. Most of all, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the cross that should have been ours that you took upon yourself. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Northside Church. This is Ephraim Smith. I would have loved to have been with you on site, but as we all are dealing with all across the country, churches have had to go from on site to online. And so we just praise God for the technology and the ability to come to you uh, this way. And so, hey, sit back, relax. Let's enjoy God's word together. 
I'm honored to be able to share uh, this message. And so we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. Paul is writing, and he says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might, uh, we might become the righteousness of God. I love that last line there, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. From this text, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21, I want to speak to you on the title, Rise of the Reconcilers. God, I pray that this would be your message that ultimately you would be speaking. And God, I, I just want to be the vehicle, the vessel that you use right now to say what you want to say to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Rise of the reconcilers. Uh, one thing you should know about me, I am really into superhero movies. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, I have loved all three of the first phases of the Marvel uh, film universe, and I can't wait now for going into phase four. You're going to get another Doctor Strange movie. Uh, you're going to get a third Spider-Man, which is actually the third of the third reboot of Spider-Man movies, and you're going to get another Black Panther movie in 2022, and you're going to get another Thor movie. That would be Thor 4, <laughs> and you're going to get another guardians of the galaxy it's gonna be awesome now uh my love for superhero movies it goes back uh to my love for comic books growing up as a kid I, I would read comic books and me and my friends in the summer months growing up in minneapolis minnesota we would get together on the corner and we would read comics and trade them we would read thor and fantastic four and superman and batman and spider-man i even had a friend that brought archie which I don't really think should count, but we didn't want him to feel left out. So he was like, okay, man, you can bring Archie. And, and we, would, we would read our comics and we would trade them. But there was one comic book series I would never trade. It was a Superman uh, series called Bizarro World. And the story arc of Bizarro World went a little something like this. There was this other realm, this other place known as Bizarro. It's a backwards, upside-down, evil world. It's so backwards, so upside-down, so evil that there's a guy in Bizarro World who looks just like Superman, except he's as evil as Superman is good. 
and the evil, backward, upside-down state of Bizarro World is threatening to invade planet Earth, specifically Metropolis. So Superman decides uh, that he would... Uh, sacrifice himself and go into Bizarro World and take on this evil threat. Now, to go with this story arc, you have to believe that for the most part, things on planet Earth are good. I mean, there's harmony, uh, there's hospitality, there's unity. I mean, people are so good to one another. But the truth is, sisters and brothers, we live in Bizarro World. This world in which we live is the upside down, it's the backwards, it's the broken. It's the divided. <sighs> but over 2,000 years ago, someone greater than any comic book superhero ever written about, his name is Jesus, came into this broken, upside-down, bizarro world. And you know what Jesus did? When, when the Son of God, the Son of Man, walked uh, this earth, he gave us a picture of what this world could look like, this upside-down world, if it was turned right-side up again. And he called that the kingdom of God. He declared the kingdom of God and he demonstrated the kingdom of God. And then Jesus went to the cross and died and rose out of the grave so that our upside down lives could be turned right side up. And one day Jesus is going to return. And when he does, all of creation, the whole world is going to be turned right side up forever. We will be a right-side-up people in eternity, and there will be no disease, there will be no human trafficking, there will be no racism, there will be no sexism, there will be no virus that, that limits how we live our lives. The question becomes, though, sisters and brothers, who are you and I to be in this bizarro world until Jesus returns? I once heard an old preacher say this. He said, when Jesus returns, this is ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. Yeah, God has decided that no matter what's going on in the world, a virus, division, economic uncertainty, political upside-downness, whatever it is, if people are demeaning each other, whatever the issue is you and I are called to be right side up people in an upside down world until such time as Jesus returns. You and I are called to rise as reconcilers, to be the great connectors of people to God through Christ Jesus and to be righteous reconciling connectors to one another within the reality of broken, divided humanity. This is the call on our lives. And this is what Paul was talking about when he wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. Corinth, I, I was very fortunate. Um, my wife and I, uh, along with Bob Ballion, who I co-pastor with at Bayside Church Midtown, and his wife, Letty, a number of us Bayside pastors, we had a chance actually last year to go to uh, the places that Paul went to on his second missionary journey. We were in Ephesus. Uh, we, we were in Rome, and we visited Corinth, the ancient ruins of Corinth, this city that was at one time multicultural. It was a serious urban marketplace, but yet it was deeply divided. As diverse as Corinth was, 
<laughs> it was divided in the city of Corinth. And a church was planted there through the influence of Paul, but it was divided. And so Paul wrote the first letter to the church at Corinth, writing to them, imploring them to live together well as a church, to, to be one body with many members, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, various gifts, but the same God, the same spirit working through them and that they would not look down on any member of the body or look too highly on any member of the body. And what would sustain them, 1 Corinthians 13, would be faith, hope, and love. Then in the second letter that we're going to zero in on a portion right now, Paul talks about who they are to be in a broken world in a bizarro world, in a world of division, in a world of crisis. I think this, this letter is still relevant to you and I today because we have to wrestle with right now, in the midst of a challenging season, who will we be as God's people? So let us return back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. How do we rise as reconcilers in an upside down world? Well, we rediscover God's love. Paul says God's love compels us. This means controls us, surrounds us, empowers us. Right now in this season, it's a great opportunity to rediscover God's love. This is what I found, sisters and brothers. There are some things I can do in my own power. For instance, I can discriminate. I can be prejudiced. I can be jealous. I can be envious. Oh, I, I can not like somebody and decide I will never, ever, ever, ever forgive them in the name of Ephraim. But to love mercy, to walk humbly, to do justice, to be a representative of God's kingdom in an upside down world, I need the empowerment of God's love. The love of God that sent his son, Jesus, that makes it possible for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and I. I need the love of God. I must rediscover the love of God daily. Let it penetrate me. Let it flow through me. I need to say, God, I give you permission. Love through me. Love my neighbors through me. Love my spouse through me. Love my kids through me. Love my, love my coworkers. Love my enemies through me. We need to rediscover God's love. Next, Paul says this, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. One, we need to rediscover God's love. Two, we need to rediscover others. And that starts by rediscovering ourselves. Paul says we no longer see anyone from a worldly point of view. That means we need to see each other. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us, the way God sees others. See, race, the, the social structure known as race, it, it, it cripples us from seeing each other made in the image of God, and we see each other from a worldly point of view. Now, I know, though, race is a unbiblical, uh, doesn't have biological depth to it, but it is a very real, social, impactful thing. I, I realize this, but yet race is a worldly point of view. 
When you say, based on the color of your skin, your physical features, your accent, where you were born, whether your parents had money or not, based on whether you were born on concrete or the end of a dirt road or on the end of a cul-de-sac, we decide who's smart, who's dumb, who's fast, who's slow, who can clap on beat, who shouldn't bother, who should celebrate after they score a touchdown, and who should just put the ball down and walk away, who should be revered, who should be feared just based on the color of your skin and your physical features. That is seeing yourself, that is seeing others from a worldly point of view. We must see each other as beloved children made in the image of God, gifted, talented, all of us with a purpose and a mission, all of us with the ability to flourish and thrive. We must see ourselves and see our neighbors from a godly point of view. There is an opportunity right now to beseech God so that I can see myself the way God sees me and I can see others around me, especially those that don't look like me, whose accent is not like mine, to see them from a godly point of view. Rediscover God's love, rediscover ourselves and others. Paul goes on to say, therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's verse 17. But if you back up at the conclusion of verse 16, it says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What, what Paul is doing here in this section of scripture is he's juxtaposing or putting against each other, seeing Jesus from a worldly point of view versus seeing Jesus as the son of God, as the great reconciler, as the one who brings salvation and liberate, liberation. Uh, so you can see Jesus from a worldly point of view or you can see Jesus as the son of God, as the son of man, as savior, as Messiah. Now, why would Paul say we once saw Jesus from a worldly point of view? Because at one time, Paul himself saw Jesus from a worldly point of view. He thought at one time, you can read about this if you read the book of Acts, that Jesus was not the Messiah. He was not God. He was just a disruptor. He was just someone trying to spark a revolution against the Roman Empire and against the hierarchy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. And so there was a time when Paul was seeing about the imprisonment and even the death of followers of Jesus. He saw Jesus from a worldly point of view, but on the road to Damascus, he met the real Jesus, and it changed everything. It changed his purpose it changed his mission. Matter of fact, it even changed his name because his name was Saul, and then it became Paul. See how transformative meeting the real Jesus is? This is why we can't afford to see Jesus from a worldly point of view. And we still have some worldly Jesuses out here that are being presented far too often. Let me introduce you to some. Well, there's the white Jesus. <laughs> there's the black Jesus. There's the Republican Jesus. There's the Democrat Jesus. There's the American Jesus. There's the English-only Jesus. There's the, doesn't he look good on a glass-stained window Jesus? I mean, there's all these, Je there's Jesus, my homeboy. There's Jesus, the genie, when I just check with him when I need something and hope, hey, Jesus, give me what I need all these worldly Jesuses and we need right now 
the Jesus of Scripture, the Messiah, the Son of God, the great priest and king, the one who sits in eternity and sits in the now with you and I at the same time, one that is invisible, supernatural, all-powerful, and real, Jesus. You know, I, I encourage you to check out what John 1 says about Jesus. Uh, John, the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Word was God. None came into being without him. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But also, Matthew 1, where it gives a genealogy of Jesus. This family tree we find in Matthew chapter 1 shows us that when Jesus walked the earth, he walked the earth as a Jewish, Hebrew, African, Asiatic, what we call today Middle Eastern, Israeli, Palestinian, human being. That's right. In Matthew chapter 1, all those names in the genealogy of Jesus point to the original inhabitants of Israel and Palestine and the Sudan and Libya and Ethiopia and Egypt and what we call today Asia, what we call today the Middle East. Oh, my goodness. My co-pastor, Bob Ballion, would be so glad to know that there might even be an Armenian in the family tree of Jesus. Oh, man, I'm going to tell him that when I'm done talking to y'all. Um, what I'm trying to say is this. Jesus walked the earth as a Jewish, Hebrew, African, Asiatic, Middle Eastern, multicultural, multi-ethnic human being. That means when Jesus died on the cross, we can say Jesus died for all of our sins because all of us was flowing through him. That was... Messiah, salvific, multi-ethnic blood spilling from his head and his hands. We need to rediscover Jesus. And then finally, we need to rediscover our message and our ministry for living. Verse 18 says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We need to rediscover God's love, rediscover ourselves and others, rediscover Jesus, and rediscover our message and ministry for living. Don't let the challenge the real crisis of the season we're in, keep you from your message and ministry. Be a reconciler. Use text. Use a phone call. Let's go old school. Call somebody and seek forgiveness where you need to seek forgiveness. Seek peace where you need to seek peace. Build a bridge where there's a divide. Maybe this time with your family at home is an opportunity to strengthen the bridges between you and your spouse, you and your kids. Strengthen the love, strengthen the listening, strengthen the sensitivity, strengthen prayer, strengthen time in the word, strengthen the revisiting of the values of your family, of your own life. If you're single, this is a great time to strengthen the relationship. Get, get deeper in intimacy with God. Know who you are. Journal, reflect, 
oh man, this is a great time to grow in God if you'll allow it. So rediscover your message in ministry. So when things get back to quote unquote normal, you will have the fuel on the inside of you to go back to work, to go back to school, to, to venture out into various places with the love and grace and truth and peace of God like never before. Rise, reconciler, rise. Well, I'm going to close with this. Back at the beginning of where I started, verse 14, it says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Ah, I should mention this. We're going to have to rediscover death. I know, I don't, I don't, I don't like talking about death. I assume you don't either. But you know what? If God asked me how I want to die, I mean, I would tell God. <laughs> I wish God would ask me how I want to die. I would say, oh, thanks for asking. Okay, God, I want to be 100 years old. I want to wake up on my 100th birthday at noon. Because, I mean, this is going to be my last day. I'm sleeping in. I mean, why get up early? And then at noon on my 100th birthday, I want to eat a meal that consists of fried catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams, cornbread with hot melted butter and, oh, honey on it with a glass of sweet tea. And I want to follow that up with peach cobbler with three scoops, scoops of vanilla bean ice cream coming off the side of the bowl. And then I want to fall into a deep sleep and wake up in heaven. Yep, that's it. That's how I want to die. I wish God would ask me, but God won't. But God does invite me. God invites me to die to myself daily so that I can rise as the reconciler that's needed in these days. I pray that you would open up your heart, your mind to the places where you need to die. Do you need to die to prejudice? Do you need to die to sustained anger? Do you need to die to running your own life as you please? Do you need to die to pride, arrogance? Do you need to die to rugged individualism? So that generosity can rise, compassion can rise, love can rise, peace can rise, forgiveness can rise in you. Rise, reconciler, like never before. Let's pray together. As I get ready to close with this prayer, I want to give you a minute, a few seconds, to think about where you need to die so that you can live. God, I pray that we would be willing to rise to the occasion. And what you've called us to, you will empower us to do it. You'll equip us through your Holy Spirit, through the accountability of Christian friends, through your word, ah, by listening in prayer. So God, I pray that in this bizarro upside down world, we would be willing to rise as reconcilers, to rediscover love, to rediscover ourselves and others, to rediscover you, Jesus, to rediscover our message and our ministry, to rediscover death so that we can live. Let it be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Boy, what a great word from Ephraim. 
And uh, he has become a good friend of mine. Matter of fact, he said, hey, I know I can't be with you this time. I want to come back this summer and preach live. And so I can't wait to gather again and hear from him. Uh, But I hope you rediscovered something fresh today from God. Uh, And, uh, you know, whether it's one of two things, I really believe. One that you're going to rediscover today or maybe discover for the first time, if maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, that all of this is from God. All reconciliation, all grace, all mercy, all truth is from Him. You don't need to make yourself. You and I need to let God make us new. Or maybe today you need to rediscover that He has committed to you and I the message of reconciliation, that God has drawn all people back to Him. We want to do something special right now. Uh, Because this is online, we don't have to fight the traffic. We don't have to run out of here at the end of service, especially because some of you are with family, you're with friends, maybe some of you are with life groups. We want to put some questions up right now. We don't want you just to hear God's word. We want you to apply God's word. Like Ephraim said, where do you need to die today so that you can live in Christ? Because he wants us to rise as his reconcilers in this world. And so right now, we're going to put some questions up. I'm going to invite you to dialogue, to read scripture, to be open, to be honest today. And then we will see you here next week online. God bless you, Northside. Let's dig into God's word together right now.